The following is a presentation of the Retro Network. Hey there, geeks. So we interrupt our regularly scheduled podcast to bring you, ooh, 90s Super Cinema. Well, what is 90s Super Cinema? It is our Patreon-exclusive podcast, part of our $5 a month. You get so much, but 90s Super Cinema is a bonus podcast where our patrons will vote on a list of films that we offer, and then we talk about it. But it is a very loose podcast. This is literally just us going all over the place there's not a set format. We're just trying to get into our thoughts on the film. It's usually myself, Michael, and Pete, who has been on the podcast as a guest. He's Michael's best friend and also his podcasting partner on Box Office 30, where they check out all the films from 30 years prior at the box office. They select one to go in depth on. So if you're curious, you can check that out. It's here on the Retro Network. But what we're listening to today is From the Vault. It was our second episode of 90s Super cinema and that is the phantom starring billy zane that's right so this is a movie of a classic comics hero uh, brought to life in the 90s for better or for worse uh, now the one thing i want to mention is like i said this is loose uh this is wild and fancy free so you may get some language in here so if this is something you listen to with the little ones you might want to keep an eye out for that or an ear out as it were uh, but also this is something that you can get access to at patreon.com for slash wizards comics by joining our one and only tier at this point our geek tier we mentioned the heroes in motion tier uh, which was originally you would get 90 super cinema by paying a little bit more we said you know what we want everybody on patreon to feel appreciated for supporting the podcast so we're going to give them a bonus podcast in addition to uncut uncensored early release versions of our main episodes and our interviews from the wizard files and so much more but hey enough of my Enjoy our discussion of The Phantom. Guys, are you ready to talk about the Phantom? <laughs> <laughs> would, would this have been your choice? Probably not. <laughs> <laughs> or I guess I would say, oh, I don't know. If, talk again, Mike. Oh, nope, you're dead air. <laughs> lost you. <laughs> <laughs> he is the Phantom podcaster. Right exactly. Now. Yes. Undercover. Oh, <laughs> <laughs> yeah, oh. I, I, um. I was striving to remember this movie, and then when I rewatched it, I was like, hmm. <laughs> <laughs> well, we're going to have plenty to talk about then. Yes. <laughs> I, I also think it's funny because, you know, obviously you guys are best friends, so you have, he's Mike to you, and he's Michael to me. It's very formal <laughs> on my end. <laughs> I, I get myself in trouble because he it's supposed to be Michael to me too, but it's too uh, burned into my head the other way. <laughs> <laughs> Any better now? Can you guys hear there me you are. Yeah, yeah now we got gotcha. you. Okay. Um yeah, Whew. I've got a uh, plenty 
plenty of thoughts about this movie. Okay, well, let's get into it then. I, I wrote up a little intro this time, make it a little more official. Yeah, so I'll, I'll kind of introduce you guys too. So when you use it on Box Office 30, there's more <laughs> of a throw to you. I don't know how you guys can get it down. I got an emergency call. Hold on one second. Okay. And just so you guys know on Patreon, by the way, uh, this is the plan with this is that it's kind of a, a twofold thing is we're giving it to you on Patreon right now. But the trade off is that Michael and Pete can someday <laughs> use it when they get to that movie in their box office 30 podcast. <laughs> and yeah, actually, if, if we make it that long, it'll it'll show up. There. That's what I'm saying. You got to get up to 96 at this point because you guys are where right now. Uh, 92 it's always this month in the year yeah so 30 years back so okay. it's uh we're in march 92 or 93 excuse me yes see i don't even know which year it is <laughs> <laughs> oh. we're still living in 22 yeah so what what was what was the movie that you guys just had your people you're you know on so we still need for? to do it but uh march will be falling down oh michael talks about that movie all the time <laughs> yeah it's a great movie yeah, I've never seen it. I've oh no, that's not true. I did see it eventually. I just I don't remember much about it. I remember obviously the McDonald's because that was in the trailer, but I then <laughs> I remember the scene at the Korean market, and that's about yeah. it. <laughs> yeah, it's just him going berserk for an hour and a half. <laughs> yeah. But yeah, it was weird. I'm I'm actually curious just on that topic. Look at all this extra content you're getting here, Patreon. Yeah. What did you guys think? Cause you guys are back East and I'm literally, you know, an hour away from like when the Rodney King riots and all that were happening. What do you remember about that? Wow. That is random pull. <laughs> <laughs> um, I remember probably very little from when it actually happened. I think okay. uh, I wasn't probably exposed to it when it happened. I just thought so... you guys were like, They're, the world's burning down over there. They're crazy. California. Yeah. I mean, you know, I think over time, it certainly became more of a clear thing. But I think when it initially happened, I, I think I was a little sheltered. Oh, <laughs> you know, okay. I don't think my parents stuck me in front of the TV for that one. So I probably heard about it, but I don't think it. I heard about it in an impactful way until I was probably a little older. Yeah. And well, then I, I thought it. those Californians were crazy people. <laughs> yeah. And we are. No. Yeah. But that was the thing, like, I think just to us, obviously being so close, it was just like, this is your world. This is what's happening. Can you believe it? And then like, uh, with like the OJ trial, we literally watched that in school, you know? <laughs> like, yeah, that I remember a lot more. That was certainly a lot more saturated. Um, I mean, obviously in more recent times, uh, for those that don't know me, um, I lived in Manhattan for 17 years and so, um, you know, like in the middle of COVID and the middle of George Floyd going on oh, where the yeah. protests were insane, they were staging a lot of the motorcycle police like on my block. I was up on 72nd Street uh, in Manhattan. And so like you'd see like these like rows and rows and rows of them getting ready to head downtown where more of the issues were. But um, besides that, it was like you could actually like walk out into the middle of Broadway and like not see another living soul. It was wow. like... It was super creepy. So, um, yeah, I don't know. It's it's bizarre how these things kind of take on different aspects in different places. <laughs> yeah, exactly. That yeah, because that's what I always wondered about. Because and it's so it's so interesting, you know. Because like I say, you know those those moments that I was mentioning are so of 
like they're they're like these big 90s moments you know to so many of us but it was, you know famous catchphrases can't we all just get along yeah right <laughs> living colors making that you know <laughs> a joke and whatever but yeah so uh but when because somebody uh on our who just joined the facebook group actually he said to me I've just listened to your podcast the third time through. He's I saw that, yeah. <laughs> and so I'm. But what he said was he misses That's dedication. <laughs> yeah, well, the dedication's amazing. But he's like, you had your wave riders way back machine. Way back machine. Yeah. You know, and he, I missed that theme song and stuff. And I was just like, so, go ahead. Oh, I was gonna say, little known fact: Mike and I intended to essentially steal that and put it on box office 30 um as a as a segment but it didn't um quite materialize that way we sort of had this concept that as we were doing each month that we would also sort of try and either talk about the music that was in the movie related to that or try and actually mike had an idea to just essentially carry it over like part and parcel like just see what music was happening that month but then it was starting to get too far away from like the box office and the movie theme. So it ended up kind of getting scrapped after a while, but we do talk um, occasionally about uh, the uh, soundtracks, especially when it was like a big deal for a movie as a lot more of them in the nineties tended to be the uh, yeah. um, music inspired by, you know, that often has nothing to do. With <laughs> Speaking of which just pulling us back to superheroes somehow. Um, that yeah, we did a little favorite... loop there, but we're coming back, folks. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> but the the music inspired by the movie Spider Man, you know, so the first Sam Raimi Sam Raimi Spider Man that album is wild. Just like yeah. the music that's on there, especially that that Aerosmith Spider Man theme song. Obviously, Joe Perry did the theme song to the '90s cartoon, so there was that connection there. But that is so crazy to me. They're like somebody <laughs> has to cover it. Who's the movie band right now? Aerosmith. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> but the all, on that album, I discovered one of my favorite performers. I guess he's not really a band necessarily, but there's this song on there. Um, uh, that by this guy named Blue. I don't know if you ever heard. It's B L E U, not Blue. Oh, the fancy. <laughs> yeah, uh, but there's there's this great song like it's called Somebody Else, and so like I heard that song and all the rest of the songs. I was kind of like, ah, I don't need Macy Gray. I don't need that. But I heard the <laughs> song, and then I sought out his album, and I was like, this album is amazing. It's called Redhead, and I just you know love it top to bottom. And then I was in a used music store one time and i found out they released a second version of that album new tracks you know and was, so every time i listen to it i think of spider-man but i'm just like nice. spider-man i never would have found this blue his other albums aren't so great but i that think my all-time uh movie album jip was toy story because um the advertising for that was using uh the boys are back in town real oh, heavily yeah. like all the commercials and then I went and got the album actually at Disney. It was while I was on a trip there with my, my folks. And uh, it was like the one thing that was staunchly missing from that album of like otherwise random music that had nothing to do. <laughs> so I was like, I guess they couldn't get the rights for that. Past well, the I forget in, in that, was it a cover where they say the toys are back in town or were maybe the, yeah. the Lizzie version the boys? Are maybe. Back yeah. I, I couldn't say for certain. I'd have to go look it up. <laughs> Speaking of which though, there's a really good cover of the boys are back in town by Everclear. 
And if you've I never, think I've heard that, yeah, yeah, it's great. So I mean, I, th- I think I'm trying to remember because it's on some movie soundtrack, and I think it's on. Oh yeah, it's it's the Detroit Rock City soundtrack <laughs> from the Kiss movie Detroit Rock City. Nice. So, <laughs> speaking of which, that movie came and went so fast in theaters <laughs> i didn't even get to see it like it was such a bomb they pulled it after the first week <laughs> but in my local theater they still had the posters out nice <laughs> so i've just had this floating around whatever office i've had for decades that's great <laughs> <It's> been, you know, <laughs> never framed it never put it up but uh, you know this past year when they were doing the um like amc i don't know if you have amcs in your neck of the woods oh, yeah. but uh and maybe other theaters were doing this too but they were having essentially over covid and they were so like desperate that you could like individually rent out a theater and essentially put in like like whatever movie you wanted out of like this like long like 400 some odd movie list i wonder if it would have by the slimmest chance that movie that you could like talk them into like hey i never saw this in the theaters i want the experience oh well i would have picked that or xanadu so either musical (laughs) extravaganzas that's like quentin tarantino was showing xanadu at his theater in los angeles like last year or whatever and i was just like oh i almost want to hop on a train (laughs) a train maybe a train coming from montana yeah it's a bit of a train ride from there i would think (laughs) (laughs) but i i I, that's the movie i gotta see on the big screen someday so nice hey he's Uh, back yeah can you guys hear me yeah yep okay there's Uh, a universe where this movie could actually be good like I think there there's a way like you know other than maybe Treat Williams who I think you know he he gives his all. We'll let uh, this guy do his intro. <laughs> yeah, well, well we'll get into it. We'll get into it. And actually, Michael, boost yourself a little bit. See, I was coming in hot the last time, and I figured I'd lower it this time. Now is that better? Yeah, yeah well, you're no, right on the mic before. I guess you weren't on it as okay. much. So okay, there we go. All right, three, two, one. Yeah, that was a bad one. <laughs> one. I'm disappointed by one. All right. Three, two, one. Welcome to another edition of Heroes in Motion. You know, we left the topic of this episode up to our Patreon subscribers, and you all voted for 1996's The Phantom. Yes, it could have been The Shadow or The Giver, but you wanted to hear us talk about The Ghost Who Walks. So now you'll hear from the podcaster who talks. I'm Adam. And of uh, course, Michael. yeah, Michael's here. Who else is here? I'm Pete. <laughs> <laughs> and isn't this called 90 Super Cinema? What did I call it? Heroes in Motion. I blew it. <laughs> All right. We're ta- I Roll take the theme song. Drop it in. <laughs> and then you guys can give your names one more time. All right. Welcome to another edition of 90 Super Cinema. All right. I- I'm Adam. I'm Michael. And I'm Pete. All right. Now, here's the thing, guys. Yeah, The Phantom is one of those movies that people either never knew existed or they kind of groan when they think about it. They're like, oh, the Billy Zane, right? <laughs> oh. So we're going to find out if that's justified. But real quick, I went on a little bit of a journey. There was this A&E biography documentary about The Phantom that came out in 1996 to promote this movie. And I learned like so much about the character because he was created in 1936. I mean, this is an old school hero. Yeah, two years before Soup's here. (laughs) Yeah, because when was Batman? 
39 yeah so i mean he is he's the guy but he's one of those characters that has just been continuously published since then like there have been a lot of different companies he's been mostly a comic strip but then there's been comic books created you know and but in that comic book form like you have people like uh carmine infantino jim aparo graham nolan paul ryan mike manley inker keith williams like a lot of names we think of in just mainstream comics have worked on the phantom so a lot of people know him especially internationally he's huge like he's an icon and i think he's kind of forgotten here in the states but i'm curious for you guys leading into 1996 did you know who the phantom was had you heard of the phantom or seen him anywhere not at all (laughs) i i too had never heard of the phantom either yes yeah i mean they certainly like threw a ton of advertising our way uh, even right down to the got milk ad and everything (laughs) but um yeah no it was it was lacking i think overall in in how much I had heard of or known that character before. And it, it looked like poppy enough to fit in in that time, but I had no clue that well, it, yeah, I mean, you know... it was for, it was for a certain generation. It feels like yeah. but I, I even asked my dad, you know, my dad is in his eighties now. And I asked him cause he introduced me to the shadow. He's like, I used to listen to shadow on the radio. I was like, but did you, and he's like, I read Superman comics. I read Batman comics. Uncle Scrooge was his number one guy, but he also read superhero comics. I was like, but what about the phantom dad? Did you ever read him in the paper? He's like, uh i feel like i know that name it's like even even somebody as old as my dad has no idea who the phantom is but i first knew about the phantom because he was part of this 80s cartoon called defenders of the earth he was teamed up with flash gordon and mandrake the magician they're fighting Ming the merciless do you guys have any recollection so so there's actually a, a toy line coming out now and you can find it on like big bad toy store they have you know, the whole line of all those characters and they've released Ming the Merciless and, and um, Flash Gordon already. But yeah, the, they're all coming out now. It's weird. Yeah, I, I did see those at Walmart. Now that I think about it, you go into the electronic section, you see all their collectibles <laughs> and stuff. But I will say I only cared about the character. Like I knew this purple guy with a mask. But then in 1994, there was the Phantom 2040 series that was character designs all by peter chung who created eon flux and that's where i became fascinated with the character a little bit of a futuristic bent to him plus just yeah again just those body shapes and the interesting way that he was conceived but did you guys ever see that and tune in for phantom 2040 (laughs) no i don't think so no definitely not well it's funny that was a sunday morning cartoon and that's something that a lot of people forget about is you know in a lot of areas you know you had saturday morning cartoons but there was sunday mornings so that's where i would catch it <laughs> that's funny. Um, but in general based you know this movie and just what you know about the character does it work for you like is there an appealing factor to the phantom just when you think of the concept <laughs> I think personally for me, and again, having now rewatched this, because I think I did see it years and years ago, not especially, you know, like I was really trying to kind of compare this a little apples to apples to movies likewise to it occurring in the 90s, i.e. something like Dick Tracy, The Rocketeer, you know, like there was several, you know, as you mentioned, um, The Shadow, you know, there was sort of like several movies in that kind of genre that were sort of 
doing their earnest best to portray this character in the setting that it would have originally taken place in being the, you know, thirties, forties sort of era. And I think some work better than others. You know, uh, we've done a previous episode of this with the Rocketeer and, and Mike and I are early like bonding in our relationship over <laughs> like being fanboys of the Rocketeer. So when I put those two next to each other, like it's like, yeah, there's a guy in like a purple suit with his little domino mask and he's got some pistols and a ring. And then there's a guy that straps a rocket on his back. And it's like, yeah, I kind of like one of these things more than the other. <laughs> <laughs> well, yeah. like, it, I, you know, I like the idea of a legacy character because that's the whole thing, right? Is they tell you at the beginning of the movie, the mantle is passed on through the generations, father to son. You know, the first phantom made a vow because his dad was killed by pirates and all that. So, like, that concept is cool. Uh, but I think I've made it pretty clear uh, in our recent episodes on Wizards about Kazar or Tarzan or any <laughs> of that, like the jungle setting and pirate villains. That's just yeah. a no-go for me. I have no... Well, it's it's such a product of its time, though. You know what I mean? Like the books that would have been selling, you know, before, you know, Rise of Superman, Rise of Batman is all like jungle comics. It's all like pirate comics. It's all crime comics. Gangsters, it's like, you know, yeah, kind of yeah it's, it's so like, it's, it's definitely like trying to live a little bit in each of those, um, you know, buckets as it were. <laughs> so I can see where it comes from, but I think that's what makes it kind of weird when you get to the nineties and you don't have that frame of reference anymore, especially for like young people, you know, again, like somebody like me who let's see 96 out of been what, 14 you know like i don't think i have like a reference where i'm like you know what i'd really love to see right now a superhero that you know comes from like a jungle background you know and also a little questionable right it's a little bit of like because i they were again i'm not up to complete speed on on the phantom's background but they were sort of making it out like oh like the people in africa were like this white guy must be the guy we yeah. give our power to you know the, the, you know, the chosen sort of like, one, yeah. Oh, <laughs> you know, um, but uh, even past that, it's like, yeah, I, I, like I, I think I must have been only half paying attention to the thing because when it does ultimately get to like the uh, climactic scene with the pirates towards the end, I'm like, pirates, what? <laughs> <laughs> Did you forget that they were there in the beginning? Like you. Well, I was trying to just... remember, and like maybe you can fill in the gap for me. Like we're because you know, like they, they sort of say that the Phantom is like vaguely immortal, although I don't yeah. know then how he's like getting the thing passed on. You think it would just be one if he's immortal throughout time? You know, a la no, Highlander. That, that is, that's <laughs> the legend of the Phantom. Uh, the that symbol immortal. is immortal. Gotcha. Yeah, because he's always going, you know, to the next generation. So the so, Phantom always looks the same as far when as... When it strips show. that away, because I thought maybe there was like an element to like, oh, the skulls make them immortal. And then I was like, well, maybe these pirates have been around all this time. But no, it's just 1930s full-on like pirates, pirates of the caribbean pirates <laughs> <laughs> like living in a cave somewhere not even on a boat <laughs> so this was you know like i said this was there's a universe where this movie could be interesting or good but in in hindsight it is the longest hour <laughs> and 40 minutes i think i've ever had to sit through uh <laughs> arguably though i somewhat enjoyed it more than batman for <laughs> In parts. That's what I was gonna ask. Yeah. And I'll tell you why. Because 
when you go into a movie like Batman Forever, you have such high expectations because it's Batman. You go into the Phantom and you're like, okay, I know this is going to be in the vein of Dick Tracy and the Shadow, and it's got some elements of Indiana Jones. There's even elements of like Hook because they're like the people they live with are the rope people, and they like live in the trees, and um, that and it's got like a little bit of you know I don't know it, it doesn't know what it wants to be. It doesn't know its identity yeah. in this movie, and it tries to t- like tease a lot of genres like the Indiana Jones genre, the pirate genre the Peter Pan type of genre and the gangster, you know, film noir kind of a thing. And it, it it doesn't land. And I think honestly, the most jarring part of it is why would you be in the jungle as the jungle hero in a purple costume? (laughs) (laughs) Wouldn't it be better if it was green or brown or something? There is no, maybe in all these years of the Phantom's existence, there is an explanation for why he wears this purple outfit, but there is no, like, it doesn't say it protects you. It doesn't say that, like, it's a symbol. It's just, it just is. (laughs) Just what what They don't explain that. Um, You know, funny enough, there's actually... I did a little bit of research because there's a female phantom at some point. Yeah. Uh, and, and it's a daughter of some sort of. Because they were know, twins. It was a brother and sister that like the brother gets injured. Something like that. Yeah. Over, and so yeah. she's like Julie Walker and her costume was red and not purple. I don't know. There's well, an action figure. You look it. at the international comics and covers. A lot of times he is red instead of purple. Yeah, there like is a variant costume well, that is if, red as well. If I had to guess, he's purple because like the same reason that like Bruce Banner is green and purple. The two colors offset each other and they had a lot less tone in the images to work with. So if you're setting somebody in a jungle that's green, you're going to create a purple character to offset them from the green. <laughs> that's a good point. Yeah. That that's your that's your technical explanation as for why they decided they had to stick with that. It's I guess to do homage to the character. And I guess this is ultimately what I would say. And you will certainly have more to talk about, but like my hot take on this movie like on the plus side cuz I overall I think the movie didn't work for me. I didn't hate it, but it just didn't, didn't work hate for it. me. Yes, too. Yeah. But what I have to give them credit for is they treated it. And this is like the word that kept echoing in my head really earnestly. Like they were really trying to like, you could see that they were like trying to pay like a really good homage to where this character came from, which now with the MCU is kind of like what we're all constantly like, that's what works about the MCU. They're trying to play homage to the characters as they are in the comic books. And when they stray too far from it, that's when we tend to think that they're not as good on the MCU movies. So for a Phantom fan, whoever that may be, I'm sure this movie was actually like pretty darn good and in a vein for it. The geeks who were kids of the 40s. They would have been in their 60s. Yeah. (laughs) (laughs) So here's the thing with this movie, though. So we're talking kind of about the the inconsistency and tone and all that. There's kind of some reasons for that. So. Prior to this movie, it should be mentioned, there was a Phantom live-action 15-episode serial in 1943, just like Captain America had one, The Shadow had one, Shazam, Captain Marvel, everybody, Batman, yeah. But And then after the movie, 
it did have a sci-fi channel mini series that was in 2009 i don't i remember that coming out and he had like a hood and it was like a different look it was kind of futuristic i was like mm, okay but obviously this movie comes out in, on june 7th 1996 my and birthday originally- oh <laughs> <laughs> did you go for your birthday <laughs> i think we walked out actually <laughs> <laughs> you probably begged him to go and then you're like oh <laughs> Um, now, originally, this is really interesting for you film guys here. Sergio Leone wanted to make this movie, probably in the late 60s, you know? And and then that just never materialized. He was actually going to make a Mandrake the Magician movie, too. And then Joe Dante is the guy who really was developing it in the early 90s, putting it together. That was being reported in Wizard for a long time. We kept getting updates. He, so he put it together but the main issue was the funding and so the big ending had this winged serpent they were going to fight they yeah. couldn't afford <laughs> to do it so they shut down production and then somebody rewrote the script without that demon and then it's like oh okay now you're back joe but then it just kind of started falling apart but michael joel schumacher was yeah. approached <laughs> to actually direct this movie so it could have been a schumacher joint but it was always meant to be a comedy joe dante wrote it with with this the screenwriter as kind of a jokey movie a little poking some fun at it but when this guy simon Winzer got the job who's the guy who directed free willy operation dumbo drop quickly down under you know these very earnest movies generally kind of straightforward movies like he didn't get that note (laughs) so everything is just kind of like you say it's it's earnest it's down the middle it's just like yes this is a hero this is what a a straight ahead hero does but like they cut a bunch of scenes there's stuff with like the phantom fighting a lion fighting a snake and all these things like no we got to keep it moving keep it moving you know so there's a lot (laughs) missing from the movie even like you know the whole love story between diana and the phantom which was like a big thing in the comic strip i guess you know so it's like Things just kind of happen and it moves along. Um, so I, well, I know too. The other thing is they also intended to create a couple additional sequels. I believe he was signed on for three movies, yeah. uh, Billy Zane. Yeah. But then when this did uh, abysmally, and by the way, I did look it up this time ahead of time. So this movie did a total all time 17.3 million against a, $45 million budget. Oof. Wow. <laughs> no, I, I typed into Google just fa- the Phantom box office, 1996. It gave me $23.5 million. So I don't know. Either way, not a lot of money because the Phantom made like $48 million. So Or not the Phantom, the Shadow made $48 Maybe million. that's a worldwide gross. Um, the 17.3 is domestic at least. Yeah. Yeah. Well, and I'll say, so I did see this in theaters, but then I also saw it on a home <laughs> video. Okay. Cause we're, they wanted us to slam evil. That yeah. was definitely the, the catchphrase they were trying to get going. And uh, so th- this version's pretty awesome because it's lenticular of him literally, oh. which is great. And then, yeah, this all purple box, which is neat. I was going to say, yeah, because that's one of the, f- so we, we all seem to have to have done uh, similar research on this thing. So I noticed that they were talking about a lot of the ad campaign with like the really hyper pink, um, you know, sort of look to everything. So it's interesting there then that you have one that's pink, but you also have one where the, the glow, as it were, from his ring is is bright green instead yeah. you know what i mean which is maybe a little bit more i'm trying to think of like ultimately when they get to that final battle i think his was blue the little yeah. beam <laughs> yeah his kind of came out blue purple and it was... <laughs> couldn't set a lot of power color yeah <laughs> so you know i'm trying to 
listen, I, I don't want to totally destroy this movie because I don't think it's the actor's fault that this movie is bad. Um, I feel like the director and the cinematographer feel like it's like their first time out the gate because there's certain scenes where like the lighting or like they have the, the, the shot of the fan blowing when they're like in, in like a elevator shaft and the way the light I'm like this is like film school 101 it's like <laughs> how you light a scene to shoot a light through and you know there's like a, a hero shot of them like in the reflection of things and I'm just like these I feel like these guys were relatively new into filmmaking. I'm not really sure. I didn't dive any deep. No, I mean, like the guy had a career prior to this, but I do think that they are aping an older style. So they're kind of saying, you know, like, well, what did Orson Welles do back in the 30s? You know what I'm saying? And they're just like, let's let's set it in a in a time frame, but of filmmaking as as similar to the time frame that the movie's actually taking place. So yeah, it definitely plays a lot with the older styles. Oh, and right. I, feel, I feel like they try to do, especially with the gangster stuff when they're in New York City, to try to do this like film noir-esque kind of shadow dark thing. It just doesn't work with that purple costume, personally. <laughs> but, you know, there's also a scene when they're like in Treat Williams's office and they're in front of a giant window and it's like the fakest backdrop i've ever seen i was like i know exactly the one well, their budget about. got cut significantly i think it was only like what'd you say pete was it 12 million 12 million 45 like, at least is what the number i found the budget for the film yeah oh, yeah I, I thought i read a report that it was way of course maybe it did that, get so. cut maybe that's an initial budget yeah, and then it, i think it got that axed. was and they dropped it down pretty low so like it, it's just what i I give it a lot of credit for this movie. They said they kept cutting the budget on like they did the best they could. And honestly, what you know, you're saying it's earnest, Pete, and you give it credit for that. What I give it credit for is that it is is easy to follow. It is a linear story that is simple and like, you know, beat by beat, you can pretty much know what's going on. You know, yes, pirates show up at the end all of a sudden, but <laughs> but even you know what, you know, where they're headed. Whereas like a movie like The Shadow, which I love, is it's, it's <laughs> and it's not it's not well edited unfortunately it looks like they cut a lot of stuff out and it's just like it's one of those movies where the dialogue is fantastic it's got some interesting special effects here and there but it, it is not consistent but the the things that are good stand out and you're like oh, okay well that was really cool though in this movie you're, there's nothing that stands out so you're like <laughs> Yeah, but well, the funny part follow. is like I think the stuff that stood out to me in this was like the things that they handled poorly. You know what I mean? Like, and like I guess there's like, the like fight scenes. Well, like uh, just to cite something like clearly out of the blue. First of all, I think the absolute worst part of this movie is the villain. He's yeah. so bizarrely not even arch. He's just like he just doesn't feel like he fits. Like you I know, know, like but he's the only like, when he wants to make like a business deal. You yeah, gotta he wants to make this business deal with the pirates or like, you know, when he wants to like snuff the guy who's like the only guy who's seen his records and the guy's so nice. He's talking to him. He's like, all right, well, you can tell that he's going to off this guy. But instead of just shooting him or something, he, he makes him like spear. look into his telescope with his like little like scalpel. <laughs> and it's like, liar. why? Because yeah. it's like, even though he just like he just did that. Like, so this poor guy's been keeping his secrets. He's going to stab him in the eyes. Which is going to leave the guy like just sitting there with his eyes in pain and hurting. And then like, he's still going to have to kill him because like, what are you going to do with him after that? But you need a villain who's actually evil. Like that, that's what I feel like. Here's the problem. Like 
So Xander Drax, as played by Treat Williams. And by the way, Treat Williams, I heard him, I think it was on the WTF podcast once being interviewed. He's like, my favorite role was Xander Drax in The Phantom, because I got to be evil. And it's like Frank Langella always says, I love playing Skeletor in Masters of the Universe, because I got to go big. And he's going big, but he's got, he's quirky. So he's not like just, oh yeah, I'm this guy, I'm a thug, oh, I'm a hero. You know, it's just like, he is so weird, and I love love his performance for that reason because on the other side i love james remar who plays quill who's like this you know guy who's out you know stealing things from the phantom and from his tribe that he protects and all their things like that but it's it's a situation where he's like i killed the phantom's father i took his belt but he never seems evil he's just kind of like it's my job I'm a, you know, he's, he's an elevated thug, basically, but he's just like, it's what I do kind of thing. And I'm just like, he doesn't feel evil, but Xander Drax is weird and evil. <laughs> well, it just felt to me, though, the whole time as if, like, some middle management guy, like, got a hold of an evil skull and was like, you know what? I think I'm going to be evil now. <laughs> it's just like, it just, it felt so bizarrely phoned in. Like, and it is, it is weird for sure. Like, but I don't know, for me, it was a, it was a. Wow. Like a non-fitting weird with, because this is like, I guess where it was jarring for me, right? Is like, you know, you have, um, you know, uh, Billy Zane in this role and he's like, he's treating it like in a charming fashion. And he has these like little like quippy jokes that he puts in here and there. Oh, oh sorry, ladies, you'll have to excuse my mistake, you know, um, all this sort of thing. But then like, you have this guy who's just like, I'm going to get some skulls and I'm going to go to the, hey, let's make a deal, <laughs> Mr. Pirate. It's just like, what? there's no, vil I mean, I got to give him credit. There's no villain in a movie I know that is quite like this. Yeah. <laughs> I just don't know if it's a good thing for me. <laughs> Michael, are you going to split the difference? Where are you on this villain? Uh, he was annoying. <laughs> <laughs> he was an annoying villain. Um, the the throwing of the spear through that other guy really put me over the top. I'm like, wow, he could throw that thing like with expert skill. Like that stuff is not easy to throw. Um, the the whole like make a deal with the pirate at the end, who is like, you know, <laughs> they they get you know, uh, Sh Shang Tsung from Mortal Kombat, yeah, Harry Tagawa, yeah. <laughs> Like, he's a fantastic uh, actor and then he's in it he's like oh i'm a bad villain i'm a pirate i'm a descendant of the pirates that killed the original victim's <laughs> father all of that and then he just dies he gets eaten by sharks you're like man yeah. you should have saved him for the sequel what are you the, doing? the wimpiest shark that could have got like it's just, <laughs> like oh but yeah it's like don't you think as like uh, like a real villain that guy would show up there like well i've got two skulls you've got one i'm gonna defeat you and take your skull not like hey but, let's cut a check and make a deal here here we go but, boys but like the story <laughs> should have gone where it was like this you know uh, xander should have been working for the pirates all along and then when we meet the big bad the leader of the pirates i've delivered you the two like mm. that's how it should have gone like you usually you know that that third act twist now we've met the big bad like in the in batman <laughs> begins we find out you know that ducard is actually Rachel ghoul and that's the big bad and you're like the big reveal you know and i think their twist was the fourth skull yeah <laughs> you don't even know about the fourth skull huh can we what? actually talk for just a minute about the skulls because like they go out of their way several times in this movie to be like the skulls are like the most ultimate 
weapon. Mystical power, unlimited mystical power. And then basically the skulls can break glass windows and shoot a laser beam or two. A laser. <laughs> laser. Now, now, given he didn't have, like, he only, like, at the tail end got all three together there. But, like, even with that, you'd think, like, yeah, and the budget's cut. They're not getting their demon bat and all this sort of thing. But, like, unlimited power if you've got these skulls. You should be, like, seeing all sorts of, like, uh, you know... Uh, something like out of like the end of like an Indiana Jones movie with like all the souls flying out of it or, or something, you know, it's just like, no, nope, it shoots two laser beams. <laughs> In the museum of the world that they go to in New York City, which doesn't, you know, doesn't really exist. Uh, you know, he puts the two skulls together and he's like, can you believe this? Look at the man. And I'm like, I don't see it. I don't see anything on the screen. There's a couple of windows breaking here. Yeah, I don't those, see what the... like like candy glass windows breaking That's... poorly. It was like, <laughs> like not even shattering, we... just like falling apart like, in sections. Yeah. You believe how amazing this looks, and I'm like, I don't see anything on screen. There's nothing there. Well, so here, yeah, and here's the thing. Uh, you know, you have the skulls and. Basically, like in the end scene when they're battling and you find out, oh, the Phantom's ring, <laughs> it's mystical in some way it can repel the lasers. Now it is space balls. Now yeah, it's yeah. yeah. force is bigger than yours. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> so, so you're just like oh no what is such like a wonderful like basil exposition moment when he's talking to the pirate he's like actually there's a fourth skull that controls the other three it's just like where's that been all this time why is this the only guy that knows that that uh thing now yeah. here's what i want to ask you guys though so billy zane as the phantom it sounds like up to this point we've kind of given him a pass we're not saying he's the problem we're saying He's charming enough. I think he was fine, yeah. Although I would say, I think he's too laid back. He's too just like, <laughs> hey, all right. Huh? Yeah. Uh -huh. <laughs> he's he's Billy Zane playing Billy Zane, basically. <laughs> um, you know, listen, I, I thought, I, I feel like he thought, this is going to be my Batman. Like, this is going to really take me from being a B-level actor to a superstar. And, and... You know, he tried his best with what he had to work with. He didn't have a lot to work with. Um, I think, you know, he definitely worked out for the role. There's a couple scenes with him in no shirt on. He looks jacked. Like, he genuinely seemed like he put an effort into it. Um, you know, I think a lot of it has to do with this. Maybe, maybe watching it in HD, you can see when the stunt double is there. <laughs> you can tell the difference. And you're like, that's not Billy. Or like, you know, there's one point where the cowl comes off and they fall off the thing and you can see his hair and they like pulls it back on. <laughs> <laughs> but I will say they did one, they, they learned one mistake that Batman Returns did that they rectified. When he reveals himself to the girl, he tilts his head down to pull the mask off so you don't go from black on the <laughs> eyes to no black on the eyes two seconds later like they purposely turned it away so he looked he looked his head down. which now like the batman has corrected by like just having him have like eye black on when he All takes it off yeah. <laughs> and um so, you know, so I, you had no problem with billy saying again because to me like he is the problem with the movie like 
I and again, I think we're just looking for different things out of this film. I want over the top. I want energy. That's what Treat Williams gives us. Billy Zane is just kind of there. Although, like, you know, he has a few moments, like you said, where he gets some quips or whatever. He looks awesome in the suit, especially when he's like doing different poses. He's got the guns going when he's going down the elevator shaft with the gun <laughs> barrels. Like, that's pretty cool. Like, but now like, here's a funny well, thing, right? That so took me out years, of the movie. <laughs> three years later, after this, we get the Matrix, right? Which is like sort of the ultimate, like people running with guns crossed in ways that make zero sense. Yeah, I thought he looked really weird when he did that on the pirate ship, and not for nothing. Like if you think about the architecture of where people were standing in the scene, he was sort of pointing it like left. I mean, this is so nitpicky, but pointing it like left and right, and like somehow shooting guys that were like sort of out in front. Yeah. <laughs> so I don't know. It, it looked it looked really weird. Like some like director was like, "All right, now cross the guns over," and it's he was almost like. I don't think I want to do that. And they're like, well, let's just take a do a take with it. Yeah, that's it's <laughs> sort of. I mean, Adam, I'm actually I'm in agreement with you in in some ways that like he definitely played this really chill. You know what I mean? It was definitely like a like a very lackadaisical sort of thing. But in a way, that's what kind of had like the odd charm about it for me. <laughs> like, and I can't really explain why. I think like in any other movie, I'd have been like, oh, my God, this guy's putting me to sleep. But this whole movie was sort of putting me to sleep. So it sort of just felt like par for the course for me. But on the casting note, and I don't know if you found this, too. There was a couple other people that uh, were up for this role. Do you know who? No. So one of them, which I think would have been amazing, Bruce Campbell. Oh, man. <laughs> Could you imagine him hamming it up in this role? <laughs> That's a very different movie. Um, but the other is Kevin Smith and not the Kevin Smith you're thinking. It's uh, do you recall um, like the adventures of Hercules and uh, Xena warrior princess? There was this guy that played Ares. Oh, yeah. He's a New Zealand actor named Kevin Smith and he was up for this. And I think that could have been really interesting, too. He was a really cool part of those shows. He has more charisma than Billy Zane. So I think so. Yeah. <laughs> you, know, you know, like. Billy Zane in the fad costume, I was fine with. When Billy Zane was playing Kit, like, you know, he just comes off as sort of douchey at times, but also he comes off kind of douchey in Titanic. <laughs> He's basically playing Billy Zane in certain <laughs> cases. You know, but I love Billy Zane from Zoolander. Like that's where I think oh, that's, that's his finest role. Best. Oh, for sure. But what <laughs> I think is funny is you know he's bald in Zoolander. That's his look, right? And for this movie, like you know they filmed all the scenes with his hair. Then he shaved his head so he would fit in the cowl correctly. And that's got to be where he just decided to go with the bald look, where he's just like you know I think this is a good thing for me. I'm a beautiful man. But, I think he was um, losing his hair actually. <laughs> <laughs> oh, it looks so thick and full. Maybe that was a wig. I don't know. It might have been. Um, but, you know, so hold that thought. Yeah. Um, you know, going, there's just so many things to digest about this movie. And, <laughs> you know, I have to point this out before I forget because it really bothered me. Um, you know, the scene when they're flying away in the red jet airplane mm -hmm. and they, ha they have to crash it. They could have landed it. There's no reason why they couldn't have landed it. <laughs> but they have to crash it and blow the thing up. But the end of the movie, we come back to <laughs> Catherine Zeta-Jones's character taking Christy Swanson home in the same red airplane. Yeah, there's just a stock of those red uh, yeah, hydroplanes. Yeah. <laughs> and, and, and these planes don't have a lot of fuel in them. And how they fly from 
New York City to wherever these islands are. I'm like, there's no way they didn't stop for fuel at some point. I don't understand. That's that what word. I wanted to talk about, though, is Christy Swanson and Catherine Zeta Jones have like a very fun relationship and they have the biggest arc in this movie. Like, you know, Christy Swanson, you know, she'll she'll always be Buffy the Vampire Slayer to me. So it's just like, <laughs> To see her in any movie, it's like, that's fun. You know, she's always got a little bit of attitude. I think she plays the character with enough, uh, you know, interesting energy, let's say. She's not quirky, but she's just kind of like, you know what? I know what I'm doing here, blah, blah, blah. And then you get Catherine Zeta-Jones, who I think she's just like the pinnacle of beauty at this moment. I was just like, wow. Like, she's just like... She she's the highlight of this of movie for me. Yeah. Like, like yeah. honest to goodness, like, I'm a huge fan of hers. Um you know, and a bunch of the movies that she started doing like shortly thereafter. So I guess this is kind of one of the first out the gate for her. But yeah, like I I, I didn't even realize it was her at first because she's got a got like a mask or whatever. But then she and I'm like, oh, my God, that's Catherine Zeta-Jones. <laughs> and like, yeah, like just as you say, like she had a more interesting uh, character arc going in this movie than does the main character. So yeah, like yeah. I would love to see a, like a spinoff of just her character having adventures because she definitely like has a lot of, you know, charisma to her. But just watching her and you know diana so sala is catherine zeta-jones solid diana like just kind of having this antagonistic relationship at the beginning you know punching each other out and whatever and then just like slowly as it goes on it's kind of like you know we girls need to stick together and then they kind of become a team and that's just that's just kind of neat to me as she turns you know away from her mercenary ways and becomes one of the good guys i saw something too that um, and I'm going to get the dates wrong. I think it was in the early 2010s, like maybe 2015-ish or earlier. They were trying to reboot the property and they were going to bring back Billy Zane and it was going to be him and Catherine Zeta-Jones were going to sign back on. So I was like, it's interesting that those were the two that were like, yeah, we're going to do it. You know, I guess we didn't get like Kirsty Swanson or or anybody else was like up for uh, coming back. But uh, it obviously did not materialize, but <laughs> Who knows? Honestly, it may yet. <laughs> honestly, I really liked Christy Swanson in this movie. I really thought yeah. she was was charming and and like sweet. And she doesn't play the straight up damsel in distress the whole time. Like she's she's kind of a little bit badass at times. And she's very Lois Lane. Yeah. <laughs> yes, very Lois Laney. Yeah, and you know, I really do enjoy Catherine Zeta Jones. She she's so charming in this movie, and and like you could see why she becomes the most famous actor of this movie after all. Cause she just, she takes everything that she has in this movie and just makes it interesting. Like just her body language, her dialogue, even like when, you know, the phantom, you know, they're on the ship and he just sort of drops into the room magically. And I'm just like, <laughs> Oh boy, here we go. And she like steals that scene too. But that's, this is the thing that I want to mention. Okay. There's so many scenes in this movie where it would have been so easy for anybody to just go and kill the phantom. <laughs> and they just were like, oh, you're here. Oh, okay. Hi. I'm going to kiss you. Kiss you instead of kill you. Cool. Or like, oh, I can shoot. No, I'm not going to shoot you. No, no. Maybe that's I why guess I was just Billy Zane. He's so beautiful. He's so charming that nobody <laughs> would think to kill him. They're like, oh, that guy. You know. But like, <laughs> you know I got to bring up one other thing that I thought was kind of funny because I've seen it now done better. There's the scene in New York City where, you know, Treat Williams, you know, kidnaps the girl and they drive away and they have, you know, they happen to have cops that are associated with it, but they don't, they don't explain why the cops are with the bad guys. Like, 
they don't go anywhere, but they're driving away, and he steals a horse. He's riding a horse because that's what he did in the jungle. And I sit there and I'm like, sorry, John Wick did it better with the horse. <laughs> what? But I, I think that's a great stunt where he's jumping car to car and then he jumps on the horse. And what it made me think of is, I know you know about this, Michael, is the deleted scene from Batman 89 where yes. Batman was supposed to ride on a horse. And of course, Frank Miller had that in the Dark Knight. You know, was that Dark Knight Returns or the second one strikes back? I can't remember. No, it was, it was Returns. It was the that's first return. It's the first yeah. one, yeah. Yeah, but um, so I I just I always thought that I was like that's cool somebody did it on film. <laughs> no, I there's just the problem I think with this movie, and I think a lot of it has to do with budget. Yes, the story is bad, but everything feels small. The world feels small. New York City feels small. The jungle feels small. Um, you know, even when he like shoots the two girls in a submarine torpedo. And this chain is going on for what could be five, ten minutes long of chain. And he <laughs> jumps on it at the end. We cut to, he's about three feet behind. I'm like, how did he pull himself through the chain of the water? How did that happen? It makes no sense at all. Well, he's wearing um, a wetsuit, essentially. So I guess he had, you know, the... No... <laughs> it's funny about that, though. The One of the last shots of the movie, when they see the volcano blowing up and everything and they're all sitting on top of the submarine torpedo and they cut to a wide shot his suit goes from purple to almost black and i wonder because if they did blue screen and when they keyed it out they keyed out some of the purple because it was kind of close to the green and he looks almost like just nothing's there like (laughs) i screwed that up Oops, yeah, I'll challenge you a little bit on this, Michael, because they shot it on location, like the jungle. Like, for example, another movie I love that's terrible. That, but but the oh. boat shot, when they look at yeah. that wide shot, it's definitely on a blue screen, like it's a background. Yeah, sure. but, but like Congo, they filmed in a jungle where it was obviously a set, like a soundstage. And you're like, oh, this looks terrible. But they're like, at least like they really do have lush scenery. Like, yeah. It was done already in Temple of Doom and stuff, but they have the whole bridge section there, where which is pretty hilarious that the bad guys make that kid drive the truck across the bridge. <laughs> I mean, that's a great solution. And that kid is funny when he's like, ha ha, big moron. <laughs> like, he has a great time. So I, I love seeing that. But but I, I, I do enjoy that part of it, that like there are actual locations being shown in exotic, you know, locales as a background, at least, which a lot of movies would have cheaped out in that way. Like you say, it would have just been a really bad map painting you know, from far away or some trickery that way. But I think what, what to Mike's point, though, it does jump between them, like to, to your point again, with like that scene with the plane before when they were jumping off. It was cutting from what was clearly shots of it flying through like a proper location mixed with ones where you could very much tell that like they were like being shot against either a rear projection or a blue screen or something. It was very funny how jarring it would go back and forth. (laughs) But do you guys, I mean, it's nice to see a movie from 1996 where for the most part they have all practical stunts like oh, the yeah. plane jumping down to the horse that's a pretty great stunt like yeah, and then she jumps into his arms on the horse like you know what it feels good. like it feels like you know something you would see at disney with like the indiana jones stunt spectacular kind of a thing that's <laughs> but like see this is this like. is what keeps driving me crazy because this is my other thought the whole movie long is like you guys keep mentioning and i think i mentioned too a, a piece of indiana jones i think i'd rather be watching 
an Indiana Jones movie than this because it seems to want to keep borrowing things yeah. from that, but not doing it nearly like a quarter really as, well, as well, you know? Yeah. Well, and I thought about that, but the thing is, see, obviously Indiana Jones was just stealing from the same source material that the Phantom was, you know, contemporary with. And that's but it what did I it well, I guess, is the difference. Yeah, <laughs> that's the difference, right? It's like it's the same thing, but you know, you just have seen Spielberg directed. You, you, you got Spielberg and you got Harrison Ford versus yeah. Billy Zane and whoever made this movie. <laughs> now, one thing we haven't talked about yet, I'm surprised you guys haven't addressed it. It is the big plot hole, I guess, for me, or just something that needed more explanation is he talks to his ghost dad. I was just going to get there. I was literally just going to say, like, and he just, does he appear the first time in the cab? It, no, he's right. in the cave before oh, he leaves. Yeah. Okay. It was a blink and you miss it kind of moment. But like, you know, so first of all, I got to point out the cab situation. Like they clearly stole that idea from the shadow. Yeah. Like that he's got like a buddy now that he handed him a bunch of jewels. And I'll just drive you around, pal. Oh, sure. Can we, we, we have to stop on that. Cause actually that's my favorite low budget moment in this entire film. When he pours out that bag of jewels and it's the same bag of jewels that I would buy at like Michael's craft store to give my kids <laughs> the glue onto pieces of paper. <laughs> and he's like, look, I have an opal and a star sapphire. And I'm like, no, you have a bunch of plastic colored shapes. <laughs> Go get him appraised. Yeah. <laughs> but, yeah. So he's sitting in the cab and all of a sudden his dad just appears. I'm just like, what the, where did that come from? And it's, it's. Like they could have at least made him a little bit opaque or yeah. something, you know. Well, and it also... should have been, like you said, it should have been more of a running gag where his dad shows up when he doesn't want him to and gives him advice. And they should have made it clear. Is this something that always happens to the phantoms? They can consult with their dead fathers or is this a star Wars kind of thing? Like, is it, like a Jedi thing. Like, yeah, yeah, exactly. The other thing is the guy that killed his dad, you know, would know what he looked like. This man is significantly older than Billy Zane. <laughs> you would assume he killed him in his prime, probably in his 30s or so, or 30s or maybe early, James early. Rebar isn't that old. That's the <laughs> thing. He was but 16 he, when he killed him. Like, yeah. It's like he has to have been a, you know, it doesn't make sense. Either they both <laughs> got to be old or they both got to be somewhat contemporaries because, like, how could he be that old and be the Phantom still, but still look like, um, what's the guy's name that killed him? The the pirate Quill? guy, James Quill, Wayne. right? He's like this close to Billy Zane's face, and he's like, and like, you don't look the same guy. You yeah. know, like, like the other guy that I killed is old. But it's really funny if you watch the serial, the old from nineteen forty three thing. They actually show the old father as the Phantom, and he's this like skinny old, like gangly man in his purple jumpsuit. <laughs> he's like, "You must take on the mantle." <laughs> you know, and then, then the, guy, the kid takes over and comes out, and, and all the tribes people are just like, "Yeah, it's our same Phantom." You know, he didn't die, and you're just like. Mm. <laughs> um so maybe that's because i was trying to figure out the whole time like what is the phantom superpower is it just that he's a guy with a purple suit and he's he got two pistols in the jungle but yeah yeah, yeah he's, he's got, not he's got bulletproof pistols, yeah. he got stabbed once i mean like you know <laughs> but maybe that's his like... power he just looks to everybody else like the same person 
Well, it, that, that's the thing. It's it's supposedly the mystique of the Phantom. So people have like some built-in fear from the legend. But also the only other thing I can pull from is in the comics and they show it in the movie is every Phantom writes that basically keeps a journal and shares all their secrets and things they've learned and who they've battled and all that. So the phantoms can pull from all the generations of history going so far back. So maybe the phantom can be like the, the most wise person because they have all these tomes of knowledge. To I love how from. old school that is. Like you think somebody writing this story now, like when they put on the ring, they have all the knowledge of everybody who's ever knowledge. worn it. But in, in that it's like, nope, we wrote a whole bunch of old journal books and we keep them in a cave. <laughs> I love that. Well, Michael, at the beginning, you said, OK, I think there's a way to make this movie work. So how in general at this point we're getting a modern day reboot? What was your pitch? Uh, like, okay. what do you tweak about the Phantom to make it work? All right. So first of all, I think... It comes from, yeah, sure, we'll stick with this legacy idea, right? But I feel like, like Pete said, when he puts the ring on, A, he absorbs all the knowledge of the previous phantoms, and that gives him some sense of invulnerability or or enhanced strength and agility, because he's just a guy. Like, he's just a guy, like, you know, with a couple of pistols, sure, uh, and, and assuming, you know, at some point he had swords if there was no pistols, you know. Um, I also think that maybe his training comes from the, the jungle. But, like, to be just a jungle hero, it doesn't make sense. Like, I feel like he should. I, I will tell you, in the comics, there is this whole thing where the son is born and then he is sent away as a teenager to be educated in the homeland of the mother. That is like the the way that they go about it. So he is supposed to see the world at some point to become more educated. But he where returns. are they importing all these mothers from then? <laughs> yeah, <laughs> um, you know, and I, I feel like comes out of the jungle once every ten years to try and find. Yeah. <laughs> That's the thing. Like I think, like I think, the Phantom makes sense if like there's some sort of atrocity that's happening somewhere in the world. And this guy is, is forced to go there. It's not just in this one particular jungle, like something is happening somewhere in the world and he has to come and, and be a hero and, and protect people and save them. Um, I, I just feel like he needs something more. Like there's just, there was not enough. Yeah, I, to I the think character. what you're saying, like having like some sort of mystical element to it yes. makes a huge difference. Like, yes, he's the phantom, not only in name, but there is an essence that he absorbs from all the generations, not just the knowledge, but maybe like each successive one gets more and more strength and power of each one. Like, like that would be really interesting. I also think, you know, from the perspective of he's got this cave of ancient treasures <laughs> that he uses to fund, you know, his different travels and things like that. But to me, that means you upgrade with the times and you would have phantom caves all over the world. All over. Yeah. yeah. You have like new tech and stuff like that. So definitely I feel like it's, you know, you set it in the modern day, not in the thirties when you make this phantom reboot and it's somebody who can look back and, you know, have the history, but definitely is now taking on, you know, you know, it almost would make problem. sense. Like, have you guys ever watched on, on, you know, with your kids on the Disney junior, like the, the new rocketeer animated series. A little bit. So like, yeah. so like she, this little girl, finds the helmet of the rocketeer and and the rocket pack and 
her grandfather like helps her kind of fabricated so that it fits a little kid and she becomes a rocketeer i almost feel like today what happens is you know some descendant of somebody you know is on a safari somewhere or whatever and he finds the ring and the belt and then like he puts the ring on and the suit just kind of like forms. how green lantern of you i love it's it very green lantern <laughs> yes. well that's like phantom sense. 2040 was kind of like that yeah you know and and then that person like almost has sort of a green lantern or you know uh carol danvers uh captain marvel sort of like training in this other realm that teaches her about the history of everything and something like that that would make sense in a modern day uh, storytelling part of it and he's has to go somewhere to do something heroic and you know the other thing we need to see is some sort of training like yeah, he fires a bunch of guns. He can fly a plane. He can ride horses. We don't see any of this. We don't know. He just, oops, sorry. He just does these things. And we don't understand why or how he learned all this stuff. You know, he's not training with anybody. He has that cave that sort of reminds me of like um, Dr. Strange's, you know, library in, in that movie. He's got all this legacy stuff. I just, it's just. Well, I was like, imagine a scenario, for example, like, you know, especially like you're saying again, like the, the, the part of this character is that there's these tomes of knowledge passed down from all the previous phantoms. What if it's like a, essentially like a character trait where like when you put on the ring, you can like call up experience from the past phantom. So if like one of them was a really good sword fighter, you could like pull on that to become a sword fighter when you need to. Or, you know, yeah. one of them was like a good horseback rider. So then you can, you know, do your horseback riding you know, whatever. That might be a fun way to kind of... Uh, so that's your Matrix moment. You you're, you're pulling on the phantoms, as it were, of yeah. phantom past to help you uh, that's pretty cool. with your power. Yeah. You know, so, there have been so one many... One power at a time. <laughs> yeah, comic book adaptations. I have to believe some of these things have been incorporated somehow. We can't be the only ones with these genius ideas. Well, it's just so funny because, again, like not to keep beating the dead horse, but you go back to this movie and it's like you find out, especially under that context, that like this character has the one thing that can control the three other things <laughs> and it's nowhere in his history of tomes or anything like that. That's really the one that. and only yeah. thing it can do because I don't know that like then if they do the sequel, all of a sudden he's able to do other things. You know, maybe he was presumably can keep shooting green and or pink and or blue beams you know, um, from it. I don't know, but. <laughs> so I have a question for you guys. If they did a modern reboot, who would you cast as the Phantom? Well, I mean, Chris Pratt, of course. <laughs> yeah, right. <laughs> Doing his best Mario impression. Um, I think, honestly, because like I said, we're still within like not a crazy, you know, amount of time past when they're trying to do that reboot. Bring Zil Billy Zane back and then have him passing it on to the next generation Who's Phantom. Billy Zane. Yeah. <laughs> I would Austin say. Butler. That's what I was going to yeah. say. Ah! I haven't pulled up on IMDb. Like, Austin <laughs> Butler is today's Billy Zane. Same <laughs> hair. Same. And he's got blondish hair, which would make sense if he was Christy Swanson's son because her hair is like dirty blonde. And I was like, That's... and I was thinking today's. Catherine Zeta-Jones would be um, Jenna Ortega. All right, my uh, my hot pick is um, Alden Ehrenreich uh, of Solo. Oh. <laughs> I can actually see that because he is yeah. bland enough to yes. take on the Billy Zane persona. Oh, I think so. 
he's just a smidge of charisma he doesn't have a lot (laughs) just enough so uh, that's so funny we both thought austin butler that's so good i feel so good (laughs) well there you have it yeah i guess we we've made our pitch we'll see what happens i i mean i'd be very curious to see if like at this point paramount's like well let's just do it let's you know let's just put it out there and at least content is content is content and paramount plus needs content so there you go (laughs) i'm literally my wife and i were just talking this week i think we need to cancel paramount plus (laughs) Our kids aren't watching enough of that Nickelodeon. You're not watching the MTV stuff you said you would. And I'm like, I you gotta want to watch a lot of Star Trek. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. No, I, I don't. I, that's one I did not subscribe to. Um, yeah. I mean, again, listen, it's there's a universe. This movie isn't that bad. It feels like it could have been a made for TV movie the way this is shot. Um, and I think it's, you know, part and parcel because of the budget cuts and issues with with that um there are a lot of script issues and there's definitely a lot of stuff that's cut out of it again i went into this having very very low expectations and i came out with like eh, all right well and i think it, you, know, you and i were sort of texting each other within like the first x minute not that we were watching it at the exact same time i think i was like a slightly ahead of you but um you know, like initial 20 minutes in reaction. Oh God, this is abysmal. And then by the end, I was like, yeah, it was all right. <laughs> yeah, it, <laughs> you know, it, like, it is what it is. I actually, yeah. so funny, funny story. After I get about 25 minutes into the movie, I was so like, oh, how am I going to get through the rest of the movie? I had to stop and go and watch <laughs> something else. So I watched The Unbearable Weight of, of Massive Talent, the Nick Cage movie, which is fucking fantastic movie was like that was like okay now i can get through the rest of this movie movie. (laughs) well and here's what i'll say i'm gonna watch this movie again and i'm watching it again for treat williams he (laughs) is my superstar (laughs) of this movie and honestly like the best part to me is all the new york scenes all the stuff you guys thought was terrible you're you know you know new york so that's different too (laughs) But but to me, like I'm just like I I want the Phantom in the urban jungle taking yeah, right. all his knowledge, <laughs> and t- taking it to the city like he was. He oh I'm at the zoo, you know, and I can control this tiger, you know, and all those types of things. Like that's what's uh, interesting to me. So I, I'll tell I'll you what again. I will. I'll now that I have the the movie, I'll make a super cut of it for you. I'll cut <laughs> it down to 25 minutes of just the New York City. <laughs> I do have to say I could use more Wolf, and that's something we haven't talked about is his uh, his partner Wolf. Yeah, the, I I could I could have dealt with a little bit more of like him helping out, but he kind of shows up for a few scenes and not really doing too much. <laughs> no Eddie from Frasier. Yeah. <laughs> it's like how did a wolf end up in the jungle? Wolves aren't really in jungles, you know. Well, I'm sure it was brought over by one of the phantoms yeah, after some trip. You know, he's pals with a horse. You know, they just they just chill. They just that's the other thing. It's like I gotta go back to this because I almost forgot. They fly away on that plane to escape. The wolf alerts the horse. The two of them take off. <laughs> a plane's gotta go what you know, a couple hundred yes. miles per you know, 150 miles an hour. Let's say maybe maybe 125. This horse catches up to the planes and they can <laughs> land on it. I'm like, how does that happen? This doesn't make any sense. There's no there's no universe where that there must horse. be some energy berries, some acai plants on that, you know, <laughs> on that island in that jungle. But listen, you know, again, it's not 
the biggest dumpster fire I've ever seen. When we get the Batman and Robin, then I'll have a lot to say that's a lot more negative. Um, but <laughs> I will you know. say I did look up the Rotten Tomatoes for this, and it's like an abysmal like thirty percent range for both not only the critical but the fan set of reviews too. So this one is just not as fondly remembered. I was surprised because then I looked that up. I was like, you know what? I have to look up Rocketeer now and see how it compares. And that was like in the 60 range for both. <laughs> so I was like, all right, there's there's a level difference, I guess, between the two. I mean, Rocketeer just ultimately, I think that movie survives again on its cast. Like when you have, you know, Timothy Dalton and Paul Sorvino, you know, and you, have, you have all these people that, you know, Jennifer Connelly, you know, it, it just, I, I feel like there's a lot going on there for it, even though the effects are kind of wonky sometimes. Yeah. But like the, the, you enjoy the characters so much. And I think it's well written, which well, is, but the other thing really too stuff. is like, you know, like a little bit of watching a movie like this, particularly a superhero movie, is a little bit of wish fulfillment. So it's sort of like, who would you rather be? The guy in purple spandex with a pair of pistols and a ring or the guy that's got a rocket? You know, it's yeah. just like, I think that there's like a little bit more of a draw again on, on that end of it. I think it's just, you know, I think this is such a product of its time and without some kind of update, it just doesn't grab audiences the yeah, way that they yeah, thought it would. The design, nobody cosplays as the Phantom. When no. you go to a con, nobody is there with purple spandex <laughs> and a domino mask. So it just tells you that the legacy of the character I, is lost. I will say the domino mask on him was better than the domino mask on Robin in Batman Forever. It's true. Well, it's because it's smaller. Like, yeah. it's, it, it didn't take up the whole face. <laughs> and it wraps, I mean, it does look like it wraps around under the cowl a little yeah. bit. So it sort of, like, makes sense-ish. Um you know, it, it is what it is. You know, is it a movie that I would, you know, choose to watch again if I had to? Probably not. Um, <laughs> but again, I, I didn't dislike anybody in the cast. I thought they were all, you know, doing the best they could with what they had to work with. Um, there's a lot of inconsistencies in the plot and, and things that I feel like I don't. There's continuity things that I'm sort of like, how did he get here and how did he get there? Stuff like that. But I can look past it because I understand they had to make a lot of cuts on it. Again, it, it could have been way worse. It could have been like Dr. Mordred or Dr. Giggles or whatever the fuck you told me. Like, why don't we go watch? <laughs> yeah. And ultimately, like, I think, you know, the fact that it is just lukewarm from everybody, nobody hates it, nobody loves it, really. It it does make it something I feel like I can show to my kids and be like, yeah. I'm not going to feel bad about this. The guy it's getting. Only- you it's know, like it's one or two curses movie. in the whole movie. It's like very yeah. little curses. Yeah. Um, so it's not, I think it, as a family adventure film, there you go. Mission accomplished. <laughs> I also wonder who, who could have played it differently in this movie. I know that they had other ideas, but like who could have been another actor? Like, could you imagine if someone like Brad Pitt, which would have been kind of around the same age as Billy Zane playing the Phantom? He would have been quirkier. He would have been. He would have been just as weird as Treat Williams. That's the yeah. thing. <laughs> yeah. So, I mean, I, I just, I, I mean, we keep coming back to what we could change, but like, I just, I feel like the Phantom needed a personal conflict of some sort. Like, like you said, we don't know how long he's been the Phantom, how long he's been doing his training. Like, did he want to become the Phantom? Was he the one that was trying to break away? Like all those types of things. Like it would have been slightly that, more interesting than. Well, again, I think it's like it. solved by him knowing about the skulls, right? Like it, whether they got stolen out of his cave of wonders or, 
you know, whatever the deal is, like, I think if he knows that and goes, you know what, that's my responsibility. I got to go clean up. He just kind of has no stakes to why he's going yeah. to do this thing. <laughs> the movie should have started with his dad being killed by the other guy. And then he's now thrust into being the phantom. Yeah. And that would have given him an arc. Cause even the dark phantom, <laughs> even though he like fights this guy, no parents who, who, who we, we find out several times, like, he killed the last phantom. You would think that that you know this version of the phantom would want revenge, or we needed uh, to see the pearls drop if we're going to do that. Right, <laughs> the black <laughs> pearls. Yeah, but like we don't we don't feel like he even cares all that much that his dad was killed by this guy, other than when he sees the belt and it's sort of like a one off, like oh he took it that belt is mine. Okay, <laughs> kill the guy now. <laughs> I don't get it. Yeah, it's it's not satisfying in that way for sure. But yeah, that is the Phantom from 1996. You voted for it. You got it. (laughs) That means that next time around, uh, we're going to see what you guys decide to pick. So I want to ask you, Michael and Pete, as we're here at the end, what three, four movies that you feel maybe fit into a category do you want to put out to them? Because in this case, the the thing that I was tying it all together was the shadow, the Giver. They the all have Phantom. the in it. Yeah. I like that. <laughs> so, what do you think about what's another genre of superhero or comic book movie that we could pull together? Dark superheroes. Yeah. Supernatural? Yeah, yeah. Um, um, you know, like uh, maybe something like Blade. Um, I'm trying to think of some other uh, kind of fun ones in that zone. Fun fits that basically. Fun, yes. Yeah. We, I mean, technically, <laughs> have plenty to talk about the uh, visual effects on that one. Blank man. <laughs> Blank man. Yeah, I, some, I, that's got to be comedy superhero someday. We got to do. Did you guys stuff never there. get around to that? Because I know you were like we dying to do that we years back. Blank man and Meteor we, man. We, we got it. We got it. You know, yeah, like come June for Michael's birthday. I think we need to uh, oh, to okay. make that the pick. <laughs> um, yeah. Let's. Oh yeah, it's okay. If you want to do like darker kind of things, we could do Spawn, Blade, and um... Doctor Mordred. <laughs> <laughs> If someone can find Dr. Borgren. When did uh, when did the first Hellboy come out? Was that in the 90s? Or the yeah. 2000s? No, that's yeah, early, early 2000s. 2000s yeah. Still. Yeah, that was like 2005 or something, yeah. So, um, yeah, I'm just trying to... Well, we'll have to research it, but I think that's a good theme, at least, to look yeah. at. Give us something interesting to talk when about. Did, when did uh, the first Ghost Rider come out? I think that... also 2000s. Yeah. I think I saw that in a theater in California, of all places. Um, bringing it full circle. <laughs> um, uh, yeah, like in Palm Springs, I had like, uh, I was with Angela on a trip and I saw that. That was like, yeah, that was 07, 08, maybe somewhere in there. Yeah. I got it. Oh, I got the list. Okay. Spawn, Blade, and the Crow. Ooh. How could we forget that? Yeah. Okay. <laughs> that's That's the list. That's good. All right. <laughs> I like it. I like it. All right. Well, again, thank you all for taking a listen to this. And hey, thank you for supporting our Heroes in Motion tier. We really appreciate you joining up with us. And tell your friends, hey, it's a full extra podcast. We have a lot of fun here. We hope you did too. And hey, we'll be back with more soon. Later. Bye. Bye, friends. We need a sign off. (laughs) 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 Got to figure out our our comedy ones, though. I'm looking at a list here. You've got The Mask. Got mystery men, 
yeah blank Lots man you know a meteor man like there's a Condor man <laughs> what else is there uh we should also do like animated superhero movies like mask of the phantasm yeah um, I was that'd be a cool set to do yeah man yeah the, like although we've already movies. done mask of the phantasm but <laughs> did we yeah we did that was one of our bonus episodes early on. I can't remember anymore. <laughs> um, we got shit like barbed wire. We can do. Yeah. Oh, <laughs> tank yeah, we girl. Have a female hero series. Tank girl, hundred percent. Tank girl versus barbed wire. Oh god, two real bad movies. Um, yeah, but there's a good. Li- there's also like, I don't know if anyone ever wants to listen to Steel, which would be pretty bad. I, I got it. We got to do Steel. It's or at least put it on the list at some point because like that's one of those movies where I'm just like. I've seen it sort of in like a weird version online and like that was semi-edited and cut out so it didn't get taken down, but I've never seen it in full. And I, I'm just so curious how bad that movie is. So oh, it's it's bad. <laughs> it's another one that I definitely think I walked out of. But uh yeah, there's a long list of stuff we should yeah, we should maybe each month we choose like a like a like a thing, like you know, yeah, scary see. ones and then maybe you know, uh, May would be like comedy one, or, or June would be comedy, whatever. And then we do female heroes. And you know. yeah, I think it'll be great. So there you have it, geeks. Our conversation about the Phantom. I hope you feel like you're ready to slam evil at this point. But again, just another plug uh, for patreon.com forward slash wizards comics because we would love for you to not only support the podcast to help us grow and bring you more and more entertainment, but also just get access to the full Wizards experience. Like I say, our uncut early release episodes, they're very similar to this, where there's a lot of looseness and a lot of extras, uh, you know, in conversations sidebars or whatever else that you're not getting if you're just listening on the main feed uh, but also same with our interviews sometimes there's questions we'll cut you know and you might get a little bit of insight you were hoping for that didn't make it to the main interview release uh, but also you get a full scan of the issue in PDF form you get the video version of these conversations offered to you so you can view them on a private YouTube link which is often a lot of fun especially as we get into movies that we have a lot of collectibles for we'll show them off for the camera and get excited. We just are uh, releasing our Supergirl episode to Patreon as of this recording. And so if you are interested in hearing us talk about Supergirl from 1984 and showing off my collection of rare and obscure movie memorabilia from the film, Mike Schwartz had a great collection of stuff as well. Uh, we are very passionate about that film. There's a lot of fun things to discuss. So if you can afford five bucks a month in the new year to give us a little something extra to work with as we're growing the podcast and try to bring some additional exclusives and other experiences your way then please do please join us but either way we thank you so much for listening and invite you to continue to tell your friends find us on social media at wizards comics everywhere except for instagram at wizards underscore comics or check out our archive of over 250 podcasts that's right at wizardscomics.com but hey until next time keep your books bagged and boarded This has been a presentation of the Retro Network.